Thanks, Rick, and uh, good day, everyone. Great to have you with us here at All Saints today, and for those who are joining us online, uh, it's great to be with you. And we're starting a new series today called Confronting Christianity. Uh, there's a, a verse in 1 Peter chapter 3 that says this, says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Uh, back when uh, planning and predictability uh, were a thing, and uh, we were expecting that about this time this year, we would be working together through the, the New Testament letter of 1 Peter. And given the way that our year has been turned on its head and back up again and turned on its head and back up again, uh, we ended up sending the book of 1 Peter to term 4 2021 and we will be working through that together next year. And uh, when we created that kind of gap, that space in our church teaching program and we were thinking together as a staff team, what might we put in its place? Uh, we, we thought together about the fact that our plan had always been to recommend a book to you during that series based on 1 Peter chapter 3, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have, do this with gentleness and respect. We were going to recommend to you this book called Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion by Rebecca McLaughlin. It's a fantastic book that does exactly that. It confronts 12 hard questions uh, that are often posed of Christianity. Uh, hard questions that deserve a deep thinking, that deserve gentleness and respect, and that deserve attention and time for God's people uh, to think about uh, how we can engage our world and how we can engage our own questions and doubts uh, by God's word. And so what we ended up saying is that why don't we just leave that space in our teaching program and instead of putting what we normally do, another book of the Bible that we work through together, that's our bread and butter, that's what our normal practice is, we've constructed a series based on this book that gives some time and space to those hard questions in our gatherings and in our small groups that we might engage with one another, with our own doubts, and engage with our friends and our neighbours uh, with their questions and their doubts, uh, that we might give some oxygen to those questions, with our eyes open, with our Bibles open, with gentleness and respect. Um, I accidentally found myself in a weird place uh, in YouTube during the week, uh, looking for something, uh, and I found myself in kind of US politics land on YouTube with lots of two or three minute clips that all had sort of similar sounding Headlines. The headlines had to do with torching opposition or crushing arguments or destroying points of view. And it just struck me as I had that 1 Peter 3 verse in my mind that that's a very different way to engage with people who disagree with you. That there's too much of wanting to torch arguments and destroy people and crush ideas... And so one of the goals of this series, of creating this space for us in church and in our growth groups and in our own conversations and relationships, is to allow these ideas to be brought up and talked about 
in the light of day, in the light of God's word, with gentleness and respect. The idea, the goal of reading a book like this and engaging with questions like this, the idea for us is not that we would destroy anyone or crush anyone or torch ideas, but that we would listen, that we would acknowledge, that we would confess and repent where we need to, that we would listen again, and that with gentleness and respect we would point one another and we would point our world and our friends and our neighbours to Jesus, the life-giving, life-affirming Son of God, who when confronted with sceptics and doubters brought them in and brought them close. Bring me your doubts. Bring me your questions. The only time that Jesus would get aggro with people, the only time that Jesus would crush an idea or, or expel a worldview was more often than not when people would come with their own Agenda with their own self-righteousness, with their own self-sufficiency, who come with that kind of attitude of gotcha, I'm going to catch you out. But all through the Gospel accounts, when people who have genuine questions, sceptics seeking genuine answers, doubters seeking genuine assurance, Jesus says, bring me those questions. Bring me your doubts. Let me listen to your heart and your mind. And we want to do that here as a church with gentleness and respect. The goal is not to crush or destroy anyone. The goal is not to win an argument. The goal is to love people and to love Jesus. Hard questions... Uh, require long and deep engagement. The reason that books like this exist is because these questions are genuinely hard. They're genuinely complex. They're genuinely confronting. There's genuine sin that needs to be repented of within the church and within our own hearts. There's changes of mind that need to take place when we're confronted with God's word. And so, you know, 20 minutes on a Sunday, we should be right. The goal is not that we're going to exhaust these questions or provide irrefutable answers or kind of conclude the discussion, but to open it up. To say that Jesus is big enough to take on these questions. That we believe a biblical worldview in the Christian faith is robust enough to engage with these questions. And that our salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is secure enough to acknowledge with our eyes open, with humble hearts, with listening ears, that these are important issues to talk about and to engage with together. Uh, one of the things that is heartbreaking for me as a pastor over the years, that I genuinely have lost sleep over, uh, is people walking away from the church and even more importantly walking away for, from Jesus because of difficult issues, doubts that they're facing or questions that they have 
that they've sought to engage with in silence. Out of fear, out of insecurity, out of bad experiences, feeling like they can't raise the issue or raise the doubt or ask the question. And the only place they go looking for an answer is in the deep, dark corners of the internet with people they've never met and who do not know them and who do not love them. And we want to say, bring those doubts and bring those questions and engage in those issues with one another in community with people who know you and who love you and who want you to know Jesus and who want you to love Jesus. So I want us to have serious but low expectations, I guess, for the answers that we might come to during this series, but feel like we have permission to to take the long view as we walk together, listening intently with gentleness and respect, with humility and with grace, that we might love one another and love Jesus together. Uh, Michaela Larkin drew this picture for us for this series And one of the things that I love about this is that it's in a sense meant to be a depiction of the Christian life that's not a straight line, that has lots of dips and turns and cracks and crevices and bumps in the road. And one of the goals of this series is to say we want to walk together down into these valleys and up again and over these bumps and through these cracks and crevices with each other providing the support and the leg up where we need to sitting down and stopping together when we need to listening intently and asking questions and praying together and offering support when we need to Rebecca McLaughlin, uh, who wrote this book, uh, says this about some of the big issues, the things that, the big questions that confront Christianity. She says, time and time again, when we look more closely at obstacles to faith, they end up becoming pointers to Christ. So as Christians, let us not sound the retreat. Instead, let's arm ourselves with love and with prayer, and with humility, and with the best insights that we can glean from God's word through careful study, and let us meet our unbelieving friends, and I want to say our own doubts and questions. Let us meet our unbelieving friends where they are. And so one of the things that we want to recognise, and what we believe sincerely and truly from the Bible, is that so often what these roadblocks to faith, these big obstacles to trusting and following Jesus that can appear on this journey that we're walking together, that what can appear at first glance like a big roadblock that says, surely you can't keep following Jesus past this, with this standing in your way, that instead of observing that from a distance and with silence, when we come up close to it with our eyes open, with our Bibles open, with humble and repentant hearts, that roadblocks to faith can more often than not, when you press into them, become signposts to following Jesus. That roadblocks to faith can, when you press into them, become signposts 
to following Jesus more closely. And so that's the sort of thing that we want to do together over this next term. And in our growth groups and in our conversations, I want to highly recommend that you grab this book and read it. Uh, In Stanmore at Reformers, it's currently $22. It's worth an investment, I think. Uh, And if you really can't afford it but would really like to read it, I've got two copies today that you can have for free. Jesus is big enough for our doubts. He's big enough for our questions. So we want to open up the opportunity to think about these things together, to wrestle with answers, to be in for the long haul, and to seek clarity and conviction and the truth and the goodness and the beauty that we're thoroughly convinced Jesus provides to a sceptical world and to doubtful Christians. Uh, This week, um, Dr Sarah Irving Stonebreaker was speaking in Sydney, and uh, you should ask Justine about that after uh, church this morning. And uh, her story is talked about in this book, funnily enough. And... uh, writing about her own story as an academic seeking uh, clarity and conviction and the truth and the goodness and beauty of Jesus. This is what Sarah Irving Stonebreaker writes about her experience at Oxford and Cambridge, uh, thinking that Christianity wasn't robust academically enough to engage with seriously. Having uh, engaged with it seriously, this is what she writes. Uh, Part of the quote's up there. Christianity, it turned out, looked nothing like the caricature I once held. I found the story of Jacob wrestling with God especially compelling. She writes, God wants anything but the unthinking faith I had once assumed characterised Christianity. God wants us to wrestle with him, to struggle through doubt and faith, sorrow and hope. Moreover, God wants broken people, not self-righteous ones. And salvation isn't about us earning our way to some place in the clouds through good works. On the contrary, there's nothing we can do to reconcile ourselves to God. As a historian, this made profound sense to me. I was too aware of the cycles of poverty and violence and injustice in human history to think that some utopian design of our own, scientific or otherwise, might save us. And it's that kind of robust thinking with our eyes open that we want to engage with together. Uh, We've just been on a family holiday and one of the great joys of it for me is as our kids get older they become more independent and there's there's less kind of hand-holding and there's less kind of uh, dealing with um, the the little needs of the day and we're able to to do things together and they're able to do things on their own and that's a wonderful joy especially when you can send them off for a bike ride while you sit and read a book. But One of the things I miss, I think, are some of those wonderful realities of having little kids. And remember when kids are little and they want to play a game of hide-and-seek and they do things like just stand in the middle of the room with their eyes closed and think with that kind of logic that if I can't see you, you can't see me, right? I wonder if sometimes when it comes to the challenges that face the Christian faith and the challenges that are posed to those who would trust and follow Jesus, those hard questions. Uh, Sometimes we think that as Christians we need to close our eyes and pretend that they're not there and pretend that the challenge isn't real or significant uh, and think that if we close our eyes long enough uh, it just will go away. 
Uh, but as I read recently with a friend, John chapter 1, we acknowledge together that Jesus is actually the one who brings light and life. Uh, that we don't need to close our eyes and think that faith is about walking around in the dark. But faith is about walking around in the light. The light of life that has shone in the darkness, that has come into the world through the Lord Jesus. And so we want to open our eyes. Uh, We want to live in the light. And we want to walk in the light, bringing our doubts and our questions to to him, knowing that he is the light of life. Uh, Rick just read for us the great story of Uh, the disciple who's famously been called Doubting Thomas at the end of John's Gospel. And I wonder if there's a great uh, model for us in how Jesus and Thomas deal with his scepticism about Jesus' resurrection and the doubt that comes from even hearing from his closest friends and Jesus' disciples that they have seen the risen Lord. That can't be, he said. Uh, And Thomas, with that kind of scepticism, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe, is a totally understandable scepticism, isn't it? And it's a scepticism that we should be thoroughly expecting from people sitting near us in our church and for those who are drawing the church outside and for those neighbours and friends who come with their own scepticism. But Jesus' response, I think, is the kind of response that we want to model, that we, the model that we want to follow. Have a look with me at John chapter 20 and verse 26, where we see Jesus arrive to speak with his disciples and to confront the sceptical and doubtful Thomas. John chapter 20, verse 26, where we read, A week later, Jesus' disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Which is good that he did, because I imagine that they felt anything but peace when Jesus rocked up. Then Jesus said to Thomas, and I wonder if you were just going to finish that, given his scepticism and his unwillingness to believe that Jesus could possibly be physically risen from the grave. What is it that you think Jesus would reply with? Jesus said to Thomas, well, you've doubted, you're out. On your bike, sunshine. I'll keep going with the 11, or the 10, I should say. Jesus says, what's wrong with you, Thomas? Why wouldn't you believe what your learned friends had told you? Jesus said to Thomas, you shouldn't need evidence. Just believe. No, Jesus says to Thomas, come here. Stick your finger in there. touch my hands. It is me. It's that welcoming 
embracing of Thomas's doubt and his question, where Jesus wants to help him take the next step, where he says, take your doubts on that journey and let me help you come to that place where you can trust me and you can follow me and you can have assurance and reassurance and certainty. But also notice that Jesus doesn't just leave Thomas there. Having given him the evidence, having welcomed the doubt and the scepticism, he doesn't say, will you draw your own conclusions? And he doesn't simply say, send him on his way and say, you get back to me when you think more about it. Jesus also calls for a response. When it comes to following Jesus, it's not just a matter of knowing the truth or being convinced by the evidence, but about responding rightly to what those realities mean. His doubt wasn't wrong because it brought him to Jesus. And pressing in and pressing close to see who Jesus really is and what he has really done and what he has really said leads to a necessary decision. And so as we engage with our own doubt, as we engage with the scepticism and the questions of our friends and our neighbours, it's not simply a matter of pointing to the truth or outlining the evidence or allowing the question, but it's about bringing those doubts and bringing those questions to their logical conclusion. And allowing the challenge of Jesus to say, in the end, what will your response be? That you can't simply remain seated on the fence. So Jesus says to Thomas, he says, come here. He says, come close. He says, touch my hands and my side. He says, here is the evidence. Here is the reality. Here is your assurance and your reassurance and your certainty. So stop doubting and believe. And that's why we want to take the long view and we want to walk this journey together and we want to give oxygen to those doubts and those questions in order that we might bring them to their conclusion with a great confidence that I think we should have that the, the claims of Jesus and the robustness of the Christian faith can withstand that kind of scrutiny, scrutiny and that kind of journey and can lead us to a place of certainty and assurance and love and truth and goodness and beauty as we follow the Lord Jesus. Rebecca McLaughlin writes, she says, in Jesus' world, we find connective tissues between the truths of science and morality. We find a basis for saying that all human beings are created equal and a deep call to love across diversity. We find an, a name for evil and a means of forgiveness. We find a vision of love that is so much deeper than our current hearts can hold and a true intimacy better than our weak bodies could ever experience. We find a diagnosis of human nature as shot through with sin and yet as redeemable by grace. We find a call to care for the poor, oppressed and lonely, a call springing from the heart of God himself and grounded in the hope that one day every tear will be wiped away, every stomach will be filled, every outcast will be embraced. But we do not find glib answers 
or an easy road. Instead, we find Jesus' call to come and die, to give up ourselves in following him. And so as we embark on this journey together, this little bit of the journey together, I hope that we won't be looking for or providing any glib or simplistic answers or assuming or pointing to an easy road. But I think we will find a vision of life and truth, of goodness and beauty that's compelling and robust and is just as life-giving as Jesus promises that it is. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you so much for the way in which you reveal yourself to us in your word and in your Son and that you place us in community, in church family, in order to walk this road together that's not simple or easy, but is beautiful and is true and is good. We ask that as we embark on this little bit of the Christian life together, that we wouldn't seek or provide any glib or simplistic answers to significant challenges and questions, but that we would, with gentleness and respect, with humility and grace, listen and speak and love and walk this together. And we ask that as we do it, that you would be with us for Jesus' sake. Amen.